Hello and welcome to another episode of Arena Craft, a podcast dedicated exclusively to Magic the Gathering Arena. My name is Arjuna, I'm one of your hosts, and unfortunately Covert Go Blue wasn't feeling very well today, so he's not going to be joining us, but we do have a very special guest, which I'm going to introduce to you here in just a moment. Fantastic guy phoning in all the way from across the world, so I'm super Super happy to have him with us. First of all, just wanted to remind you that we're nearing the end of the month. And what this means is we're going to be doing a monthly giveaway. So you can get a $20 gift card to a place of your choice. You can do that for the easy action of just following us on any of the platforms. You can join the Discord, leave us a review on iTunes. We appreciate all of that. And all of that puts you in the running for that $20 reward. So that's coming up at the end of the month. Looking forward to giving that out. So I just had to make that quick plug. And now let's get into introducing our guest. Now this is someone who, this is actually kind of funny. The first time I saw your content was I was watching Aaron Gertler's stream and he was playing his classic Teema Adventures deck. And he played this really tight matchup against this mono green deck and it was like it was really close and he had to like he had to pull out every trick in the book to to win the match it was you know went to game three went down to final life and i remember thinking man who is this player this this person is great that deck is great it was just like an eye opener and it turned out to be rint maxim salmon who is the guest that we have on the show today how are you doing today maxim What's going on, guys? Thank you all very much. Thank you for having me, Arjuna. Uh, doing great, doing great. Uh, you know, despite the tough times, feeling pretty good. Nothing to complain about, at least on my side. So we keep doing what we're doing. It's I know it's wild all the way across the world. Uh, Maxim's joining us from Malaysia at the moment. So it's interesting and not where you ordinarily live. So interesting times for sure. So yeah, fellow mono green mage here yeah i'd love to just hear briefly maxim about you know your history with the game your history with magic uh how you came to play arena and how you eventually ended up being uh recognized as one of the world's foremost mono green mages (laughs) (laughs) oh god yeah it's great it's great it's been a great journey so far well i have to say that uh i started playing magic in my um hometown right so i'm from Omsk, it's a, it's a city in western Siberia. I started playing around, um, I think it was 2005 or 2006. I was just like a 14-year-old kid back then. Uh, my my um, elder brother introduced me to the game. And, uh, you know, I had some, some other options. There were some local, uh, like, uh, Russian uh, collectible card games. But I was like, Let, let's, let's just play the original thing. You know, let's just play magic, right? Like... The, the the pioneer right of, of the genre so i started playing then it was uh, around planar chaos so it was like time uh, time spiral uh, and ravnica was about to rotate out and then i started playing like with lorwin too uh, that's an I interesting time to join the game by the way yeah yeah it was great it was yeah. great so i remember when lorwin block hit there was a ton of fun with that and perhaps w- that's when it all started like the whole mono green affection as well because uh, Lauren's theme was uh, vastly tribal decks, uh, 
elves and goblins and merfolks and stuff like that and then uh, subsequently uh, warriors and rogues and things like that so it's a ton of fun planeswalkers were introduced for the first time too uh, I kind of quit the game eventually probably mostly because of the like financial strain to be honest mm. I uh, just started going to college also so you know probably had some more interesting uh, hobbies to do and you know ways to spend money as well and uh, but you know it turns out magic can wait uh, for a very long time I sold like I sold all my paper collection also like uh, oh gave it away gave away like the rest and uh, then finally you know uh, after just a number of years a little over a year ago so probably like mid-march I think I just got the arena somewhere just on an ad you know in, on Facebook or somewhere like this or, or, or on an email and I was like wow okay arena is back and you know it's a free-to-play model uh, you know it's it's very exciting uh, to play and it's a fantastic uh, fantastic platform to be honest where at the end of the day you know it's the reason why like we are today now like talking to each other because it's pretty amazing how you can play and be competitive and connect uh, just with the power on the internet right with all the other people and uh, it's just amazing the platform is amazing for playing games for playing the high level like comp uh, competitive matches you know and it, it's really it's really good yeah i agree Clearly a huge fan. I started a podcast around it. So <laughs> yeah, and it was the same for me. You know, it's like I just wanted to be able to play competitive constructed magic without having to spend, you know, three to five hundred dollars every time I wanted to buy right, a new deck. Right. Yeah, it's a big factor. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So, you know, definitely, definitely a big thing for me. So I'd love to hear a little bit about, you were starting to tell me before the interview about how you actually came to play mono green so much on Arena. So how did that come about? Yep. Well, first of all, you know, it, it firstly co comes actually, like it, it reaches beyond Arena, right? With my favorite color, my, my just affection and my experience previously, right? So I remember back in, in those days when I played Lorvan, like I, I loved mono green warriors deck i was running uh beautifully and winning like local friday night magics even with it you know some prizes as well it was super cool uh, so <laughs> ironically this thing again comes from being a budget version because if you're running a monocolored deck in paper you at least don't have to spend all the all the money for the mana base right which is probably the most expensive um thing in the deck and then yeah, I had some really cool results. I love the synergies. I, I love aggro. I love, uh, I mean, aggro like also with a backup plan. I love like just being proactive and starting the game on turn one. Uh, and yeah, in arena, I just realized that wow, like the green cards are actually so awesome. Uh, it's like it, it was crazy. Like I saw, I saw a Steel Leaf Champion. Like what is this? this? Is a three mana four, a five four with evasion. And with Llanowar present in, in, in the format as well, I'm like, wow, this, I don't remember that power level back in the day. And then Galta, I'm like, are you kidding me? So yeah, it was pretty, it was pretty exciting. It took me a while to farm up the, uh, probably the necessary cards because I was kind of going free to play, right? And the wild card count is pretty heavy, like the rares and mythics. Uh, and then finally, it was my first time ever hitting mythic in July. Uh, last year with uh, mono green, uh, it was basically uh, since the, like right after the release of of M twenty, right? So 
when we got you know Barakai Troll and Vivian as well. So yeah, that was my first first ever mythic on ladder. I didn't I did not make it to the top 1200 back then, but already I started you know like I was doing a lot of just grinding and understanding archetypes. It was not easy. Also, there were like vampires and scape shift were pretty uh, were pretty strong decks, tier one decks uh, back then. But you know it was all doable and it was pretty cool. I just did, did not have enough time in the season, I guess, to finish in the top 1200, but it was still pretty epic. It, it started there for sure, and uh, I loved it also. That's awesome. And then you just kind of kept updating it with each new set that comes out. Yeah, this is very cool. This is very exciting when you can actually just uh, just have a chance to test your favorite archetype, like regardless of the metagame, regardless of the set, you know. It, and it's, it's definitely playable it has been playable since then for sure like even since before m20 yeah and i definitely want to get into that and get into the modern iteration of it because i you know i've been doing the same thing myself obviously i'm a fellow green mage not quite as dedicated (laughs) as you but definitely a fan of the whole concept so yeah so we're going to get to that that's going to be the focus of our main topic today is just discussing your current deck list and kind of the evolution of it and i have a couple of questions just based on my own experiences of running mono green in the Ikaria format so we're going to get to that first of all i just wanted to cover some quick mtg news because there's been some fairly large tournament announcements going on lately And uh, I just wanted to make sure that everyone's aware of that. The first big thing, which is coming to Arena uh, end of this month, May 30th, uh, all the way through morning on on May 31st, and that's Pacific time, you'll be able to play in the first ever Arena Open. And so this is a response to a lot of players were saying that they wanted a way to get into competitive play without having to rank up into that top 1200 every season and then, you know, go through that grueling process of going 10 and 1 or better. People just wanted to be able to have like a a quicker track. Like, let's say that you're a highly skilled player and you're transitioning into Arena from Magic Online or from Paper, and you don't necessarily want to have to grind your way all the way up and do that every single month. So just have another way to jump into competitive play. And so um, Wizards responded to that, and they came up with this idea of the Arena Open. So these are really cool events. You can win up to $2,000 in one of these events. And what's going to happen is... It's an open access anyone can join for the for the moderate price of 4000 gems or 20000 gold. So that that translates to like roughly 20 25 US dollars entry fee, uh which is reasonable. But it caused quite a stir when this was announced because the structure of it's kind of interesting. Day 1 is actually best of 1. So basically what what happens is to play in day one, you play your deck best of one and you have to reach seven wins before three losses. So it's a fairly normal arena structure. And then day two is best of three, seven wins before three losses. And then if you go all the way to seven wins on day two, then you can actually get that $2,000 prize. But Maxim, what did you think about this uh, to see best of one returning to competitive arena play? Best of one is wild. I've had some uh, interesting experiences recently, like in the past several days on stream as well. I mean, something something really funny is happening there all the time, like all sorts of craziness. 
Uh, I mean, I have to say sadly that Modern Green perhaps is not the maybe it's not in the best a spot for best of one. Ironically, right? So it kind of turns out that you actually want to go to the sideboarding uh, phase and. You know, some of these games are just too wild, right? Versus Mardu Knights, versus Cycling, versus uh, even Red Obosh can be sometimes really tough, especially if they go first. So a lot of things are determined by that. So my record with Modern Green is like close to 50-50, literally. So I think I, I'm at like 19 wins and 16 losses. And they usually also happen like major streaks where I went first like 9-1 and one, and then lost 11 matches in a row or 10 matches in a row, something like this. So I'm not really sure what's the what's the right way of tuning that. And uh, uh, it's interesting. Uh, I, have, I still have no idea like how is it going to look like and what to expect and which deck to run even. But it, it's pretty exciting. I mean, the whole concept of in-game tournaments, I mean, it's like in-client tournaments. It's amazing, I think it's inevitable, and you're absolutely right that the more opportunities there is, the better for everybody, I think, for, for the game and for the company and for the players, of course. So, yeah, that's definitely a must, because, like, for me, this was my also, like, starting point. Like, how do I... I was just thinking, how do I get out there, right? How do I... If I want to be, let's say you know, showcase my skill or showcase whatever it is I want to. Like, I, I was just thinking, okay, we need to top, we need to hit top 1200 every month and have a chance to play these mythic invitational qualifiers to have a good track record. But now you can, you know, you can start, uh, you know, showing off some of your sweet results, which I think is great, you know, with these tournaments coming up, especially with the with the real money on the line. And I think at the end of the day, the, the, entry, the entry fee is indeed, like, reasonable. Yeah. I would agree. I, I think, you know, for the opportunity to win $2,000, and of course there are there are lower prize tiers that also pay cash from there. So I think overall that's that's pretty sweet, especially for resources that you can actually farm in the client yourself if you want to. So I think this is a really cool move. A lot of established competitive players have kind of raised their eyebrow at the idea of competitive best of one. But I don't know. I think it's interesting. I don't I don't necessarily immediately write this off, especially since, as anyone who listens to this show regularly knows, that both myself and Covert Go Blue are pretty regular best of one players and so right yeah yeah and and data still shows that a majority of people who play on arena are still playing best of one so exactly exactly yeah absolutely yeah so i i just i think it's cool that they're doing it i agree that as a competitive format it has its own wrinkles but i think that they've they've given you a little buffer with that you know um you can get two losses just to, to ease the pain a little bit. So anyway, so that's going to be interesting. Look out for that at the end of May, and I'm sure they'll be doing more of those and probably tweaking the format moving forward from that. The next thing I wanted to talk about was just that there have been some players tour announcements, and this has caused some controversy, and I don't, I don't particularly want to get into the controversy here on the show because, you know, we cover exclusively Arena and so I'll just say like very, very briefly that there are a lot of entrenched paper magic players on just non-arena magic players who have had various issues with these announcements because basically what Wizards has done is they've canceled the in-person players tour um, events that were scheduled for this year. And instead, they've given the people who qualified for those 
invites to these arena players tour events they're going to be happening in june there's going to be a number of them and they have like a couple of sub events that are going to be paying out a 150k prize pool and then they'll have a finals which happens in july and then that has a higher prize pool and and stuff like that so yeah there are a lot of uh established paper players who are kind of upset with this who would have rather just you know, deferred their pro, you know, players to our invite for next year or something like that. And so I, I just wanted to acknowledge it. Um, not so much to go into it, but, you know, I feel for those players and, you know, I, I think it's, uh, it's an interesting reflection on where organized play is going because obviously Wizards is really pushing Arena as their flagship competitive magic platform so i think this you know it it represents a big step forward for arena in you know in its use as a as a players tour platform so we'll see what wizards chooses to do with paper magic in the future and i'm sure that that'll be you know changing as as things change in the world anything to add to that maxim well of course i mean uh just look at the world championship, right? You have the first ever world championship that happened like pretty much exclusively on the arena in the arena format, right? I mean, okay, like I guess the draft process uh, was actually right the original paper one with people like picking uh, the physical cards, but at the same time you you have to you have to probably acknowledge the fact that at this point it, it's the future, right? I guess it is inevitable. But I mean, I love paper. I enjoyed playing a couple of paper events while I actually was in Bangkok in Thailand. So it's it's still an amazing experience. But you know, you just have to consider the fact that you know the the player base will be growing much bigger. And you know, even look at the prize pool for the World Championship, right? So it's definitely is is definitely like reasonable, I guess. But I mean. Yeah, I, I'm not really sure, but but again, arena is is amazing, right? For me, uh, in my situation, and I guess for for many many more people. Yeah, so yeah, definitely not to not to downplay the struggles of paper players who have been kind of unfortunately shoehorned into a digital system they didn't necessarily sign up for. But I but I do think that it offers opportunities as well for for arena players um, such as us. So. Yeah, but, you know, benefits and drawbacks for sure. Um, Okay, the final thing I wanted to talk about and I wanted to get your opinion on here, Magzim, before we transition into our main topic was that they've also announced um, the next Mythic Invitational, which is happening August 28th and 30th. That also has a 250k prize pool, US dollars, of course. And the most interesting aspect of this announcement is that this is going to be a purely historic tournament. So what what do you think about this historic coming to the competitive scene? Yeah, I mean, I kind of maybe felt that part of that decision was behind just due to the fact that many people might not be too happy with the current state of standard even though I'm not sure it could be it could be one of those things, but honestly, yeah, I was really surprised to hear that like this actually going to be historic like mythic invitational. Now that's big, right? That's really big. Uh, but I don't know. I, I feel like uh, it's pretty cool. It's going to be a ton of fun for sure because, I mean, uh, there's still quite a long way to go for for the historic metagame to shape up. Uh, I mean, there's just enough time, right? So two months um, or even more, like three months basically, right? The whole summer. 
but yeah, I think it can be really cool. It's an, it's a very interesting decision. So far, at least the historic, historic ladder, let's say, that's the only experience I have with it. It's wow, it's, it's really wild. It's like every mat, match is very different. I think it's amazing. Like the, the variety is just enormous. Absolutely enormous. Like every game. So, and that's interesting because it, it also, it also tests your different qualities, like as a player, just being able to adjust your play style and, and your card selection for sideboard and main deck and things like this. So you want to be just all around good, right? You, you can't really counter or you play the, the best, uh, you know, strategy or whatever. So you have to really adjust, like on the spot sometimes, think and, you know, it's very interesting. I think it's 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 a pretty it's a pretty cool decision. I think at this point because you know soon after the rotation is going to hit standard, and you know I think I think like maybe that that's the case, right? They want to they want to spice it up a little, and historic is going to be it's going to be madness. Yeah, yeah, I agree, and I mean, I think we're gonna see we're gonna see a massive kind of consolidation and solidification. I think of the of the historic meta game over the next few months with the introduction of the you know evergreen ranked ladder for there and uh so yeah i'm i'm also excited for the focus on this you know because i have gotten a little bit tired of standard and it's also just nice to you know some of the additional cards like ulamog they've added are really sweet um and just an opportunity to play with your older cards and with some additional cards that are just kind of added from outside the arena client. Overall, I, I think that's really cool. And so I'm really looking forward to it. So we've covered that magic news. Now I want to just get right into talking about mono green. So yes, this is cool. You know, I, I did my episode a couple weeks ago about, about brewing mono green in the latest standard and and via various means, you and I got got connected to talk about it. So here's where I wanted to start. Now, you've been doing the evolution of Mono Green for a while now, but what I noticed was I was looking at some of the lists that you were playing in, you know, these kind of latest lists that you've been playing in various events and on stream. And I noticed that you were still running and seemed to be favoring like an Eldraine-centric build of the list. And I was wondering, you know, maybe the best way for us to go through this would be to just talk about, maybe give a brief overview of the cards that you're running in your current list, and then we can kind of talk about it from there. So wh what's your list looking like these days? What are you running with on the ladder? Uh, I'm actually pretty much running as my main main deck main version the red bull the may red bull version right like so this this recent one i really think that it is very solid it probably doesn't need any changes right now and for like um you know for as much time as there is i just want to try to get get in like the, the results before any rotation before any changes occur i think in the i mean it's it's in a pretty good spot for i mean for a modern green deck right but um yeah i'm running with this i'm really happy and i made a lot of mistakes honestly along the way and i still keep making them so i think it's now up to the pilot now not not up to the deck anymore 
here's the here's the thing, right? I mean, I mean, of course, I, I got another another spike of you know excitement and popularity, I guess, with my untapped uh, Red Bull untapped results, right? So first day, I went seven and one going in top eight, and I ended up losing in top sixty four to a Rakdos Obosh, which that loss still keeps me up at night, to be honest. And <laughs> it's probably it's probably going to for a while, for a while. Yeah. Because at the end of the day, I mean, maybe it's it's too cocky to say, or I mean, of course, I can't really say that because I failed, but but I could have taken the whole thing, believe it or not, believe it or not, I could have taken the whole thing. It was definitely possible, one hundred percent. Azorius Yorian, like uh, like maybe Jund sacrifice would have been very tough, but other than that, I think I feel like. It's just wow, right? It would be so interesting to see. Like, I really like threw the match pretty terribly. But then again, you realize a couple of other things along the way from you, from a player standpoint, regardless of any deck. You know, just longevity in the tournaments, uh, in long dragged out, uh, very draining tournaments. You know, having like sleep issues and just preparation issues and things like this, right? Like. Uh, mythic mythic invitational qualifier overlapped with that as well so i had to play that back to back uh but i mean it, it's good but it means that it's you know it, it, it's the right signal for you like don't it doesn't matter no matter what the meta is no matter what you're playing improve as a player improve these things uh if you want to play competitively if you want to compete which i am right i'm just getting started uh in my own way uh but yeah these are very very important things just like you know the mistakes mistakes like it's all it's all up to your decision it's not shuffler it's not meta game it's not anything it's just your there are many things that are in your control you can improve on and then these things that go like beyond the game like get enough sleep like prepare maybe like don't play two tournaments at once just pick one you know stick don't you can't have it all right you know the time zone adapt it's just just crazy right it becomes like almost like like you're an athlete type of situation, right? Yeah. And you need to really prepare like yeah. yourself. No, it's it's an underrated aspect of success in magic is just actually being able to maintain the intensity, right? And to just take care of yourself. And, you know, you don't realize until you're really trying to push it that, you know, your brain gets tired and your body gets Absolutely. tired. Absolutely. 100%. It's real. It's so real. Well, I, I'm sorry that you weren't able to take it all away, but... Uh, it's awesome that you were able to get that far and you know and feel like you were playing a deck that was ultimately well positioned in the tournament so i mean that's that's a huge achievement yeah i think this is my biggest one so far yeah yeah so i'd love to hear do you have available just the list of what you played at that event that you could read off for us real quick oh yes absolutely uh basically the one drop package right i mean uh, is four pelt collectors, four stone cold serpents, which quite often stone so stone cold serpent is you know is a one drop as well as a one mana one one no problem with that. Let, let so, me just ask you. Um, <laughs> I want to talk more about stone cold serpent, but oh yeah, if you're looking at your opening hand and you don't have any other one drops, do you play stone coil serpent as a one drop a hundred percent of the time? Uh, not a hundred percent of the time. Okay. it depends a lot on the matchup we're up against. Let's say uh, versus mono red, one one serpent is not great at all because it can't really stop a fervent champion or the what's it called grim initiate things like this, right? Uh, same we can say about um, 
let's say Marduk Knights, right? I, I tend to hold on on that. Like if I don't have a if I don't have a two drop, especially, right? If I have a two drop in hand, that's already a point for consideration. Sometimes I might do it. Sometimes I might not. Versus versus any any uh, control decks with the fairy, it's an absolute must to play a one one serpent because uh, you have to have a one drop and a two drop to be able to clear out the fairy, and that's in extremely important. Because if, if your strategy includes Vivian Champion of the Wild, right, you have to remove the fairy, or you will probably just lose the match. <laughs> That's a great point. Okay, cool. Yeah, I just had to stop you there because I'm I'm I've had that question. I'm sure a lot of our listeners have had that question. Oh yeah, too. that's true. <laughs> okay, so so you're running those as your one drops, and then what's happening in the two slot? So in the two slot, um, I actually like running uh, over eight two drops because you know generally speaking for an any aggro deck you want eight to twelve one drops eight to twelve two drops and i kind of I, I find that uh i find it also through testing right that probably eight eight two drops is not good enough i mean there's still a serpent there that kind of is so actually wonderful because it fixes your any hole in your mana curve because x can be anything right now finally uh i decided to stop at 10 because I, I just realized that having an early mutate target is very crucial. Just have something on one or two for your gem razor. Because, of course, gem razor, is, it, it, it kind of works as a three drop, right? Like, you consider the card as a three drop. But to make it very efficient, very consistent three drop and not a four, it's very important to have more early mutate targets and that's that's my thinking there because if you're stuck with gem razors that cost four mana you can't play it it's actually pretty bad because honestly if you're losing a two drop like look, starting without a one drop is fine but if you skip turn two and skip turn three now that gets really bad for you in the future that can that can be really problematic right right okay so so in your two drop slot you're running four bark high trolls Okay. Four Grove Chamber Guardians and two Wildborn Preservers. Mm, okay. So does this mean that you've abandoned abandoned the Wildwood Tracker that you'd been playing in the past? <laughs> yeah, Wildwood Tracker was pretty epic. Uh, I think even back then, uh, it was still like Stone Cold Serpent probably should have been more favored in uh, even back then. But what I really liked about Tracker in Theros Standard is is just that early aggression sometimes in the opening game quite a few decks were not able to really stop you um game one like especially quite often it was the case with sultai ramp you could have just won won a game uh with like three lands or two lands sometimes because if you start like one drop two drop two drop it was totally fine it was totally fine because that extra damage Sir, uh, what turn one serpent cannot push through right but tracker already adds up quite a lot tracker was absolutely sensational with uh turn two, with a follow-up of turn two paradise root turn three vivian and you got a four four tracker attacking on turn three that was just insane so that that was my idea there i mean back then it was a little clunky with the love struck beast as well right like uh, Love Struck Beast was such a headache. It's just incredible. I'm happy to let the card go finally and just play Gem Razor. <laughs> okay, so 
Yeah, that's that's another interesting thing for sure to to talk about. But one of the things I'm curious about was how has Barkhide Troll been performing for you? Because that's a card that I'd played a lot of in Eldraine Standard. And as time went on, I felt less and less excited about it. Um, now, was was Barkhide Troll like a hedge against Teferi? Was it a hedge against Mono Red? Like, where were you really finding Barkhide Troll to be strongest? Um, very early on in in the in my magic uh, journey, I, people told me, "Hey, two mana three three is really good." One mana two one is really good. I mean, imagine like back in the day, uh, you know, Savannah Lions was a rare, right? And it was a one mana two one creature. Like Watchwolf, I played Selesnya. My first e- deck ever was Selesnya. I'm like, okay, okay, Watchwolf, Watchwolf. I need to get Watchwolf first, right? Because it's two mana three three. Well, not not only that. Now you have an ability with Hexproof. It's just uh, something incredible, right? Happening with the power level of cards in standard. But, yeah, I mean, the thing is, when you look at Mono Green, right, um, like, people, people, people often, often say, I guess, you know, oh, it's, it's a pretty dumb deck, right, and it's whatever, you just have to play the biggest creature every turn, and this is how you win. Uh, I mean, um, it, it's not quite the case, uh, but no, yes. I, any, anyone who's tried to play one of these decks... Um, and is faced with the decisions that you inevitably yeah. end up with will appreciate that it's actually can be quite complex. Oh and, my, yeah. And your your sequencing is important. Whether you're on the play or on the draw is very important. Um, yeah, so... Exactly, yeah. So here's the thing. Like, in some situations, a decision of playing turn two Chamber Guardian or turn two Barkai Troll can win or lose you the match. It, it's pretty much that simple, right? It's it's when you think about a deck and any deck, like you just realize, well, how do I win, right? What's the game plan? The game plan, of course, is aggressive here. We we every card in the deck is basically designed to push through some damage. So I would say, like the the idea of a deck is not to play biggest creature possible every turn and hope it, it sticks. the The biggest thing about it is attack, like attacking. Right, attacking in the most efficient way possible, and 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 the way to achieve that goal is of course play, uh, play creatures that are, um, you know, higher higher than average stats for the mana cost. So we have Chamber Guardian, of course, and and Preserver that kind of don't really fit that strategy, but that's just because we need that. Um, you know, I like to have that backup plan. This this kind of variety. Barkai Troll is really is an awesome mutate target. First of all. Because that that hex proof on on gem razor is again is again incredibly strong. It's also a a good like immediate benefit there. Of course, pumping your pelf collector. I mean, it's a really good start. Uh, very powerful turn two. Now, yes, you can absolutely uh, get to a scenario where it becomes really important when it, uh, to deal with or to oppose claim the firstborn and Teferi as well. Right. That's what I was, uh, you know, one of the things that I like about Barkhide Troll is that it it seems to play a strong role against so many different decks, right? Like Yes, yes. For example, the red deck attacks very easily into a 2-2, but it doesn't attack yes, very exactly. easily into a 3-3, right? Yes, that's a huge point. They yeah, need absolutely. help. They need help to get past the Barkhide Troll, so at right. the very least you're forcing your opponent to, you know, play a Boulder Rush or 
you know, or have some a shock or just something else in their hand to try to kind of get the job yep. done. Yeah, and then exactly, I do love the the ability of against control. It makes it difficult for your opponent because their Teferi and their spot removal become a lot trickier. In this situation, also, of course, uh, sorry, we have we have hinge, which is very important also to to get a two drop off immediately, right? Let's say you have it in the opening hand, you you play your hinge, you you can immediately play a two drop, which is why I think it's also important to have. A healthy count of two drops and of course Vivian Argo Ranger I mean you don't really get to see it that often right uh, pumping up the troll and troll being able to just become unstoppable right yeah and one of the things I noticed about this list is that you're not running Paradise Druid in the current build and I think uh, mutate decks have typically leaned on the hex proof from the paradise druid to give them a safe place to do their mutate onto and one of the things that i love about barkhide troll versus paradise druid is that you can actually attack with your mutated creature and still have hex proof available to you whereas you lose that with the paradise druid so that's a that's a kind of a big upgrade there for sure my thinking with paradise druid was basically uh just realizing the fact that turn three four drop in my opinion is not as powerful anymore mm, so okay i remember a certain time when it was so amazing to play vivian on three but right now uh hyper like hyper aggressive decks let's say you you take something like mardu knights or or mono red right obosh and things like that or even control decks where you have mystical dispute now neutralize as a thing too um, like you play turn three Vivian, if you if you, okay if you don't have if you have a one drop it's still pretty good. But imagine you don't have you actually don't have a one drop in play, which can happen. You're only running eight, and then what happens? Look at this. You play turn three Vivian. That's great. You pump up your Paradise Druid, which is going to be tapped now, and then your Paradise Druid gets bounced, or Vivian just get absolutely steamrolled with all the Lurus decks with all the all the hyper-aggressive Obosh and, and with a lot of one-drops and things like this. So I decided to kind of abandon that game plan a little bit. And I went I went back to actually Grove Chamber Guardian, which I think is, is actually uh, pretty well-positioned right now at the end of the day. So let's talk about Growth Chamber Guardian because I... And I hope you won't take this the wrong way, but I feel like Growth Chamber Guardian is like one of the worst good cards ever printed in standard <laughs> <laughs> could be it could be the case for well sure. well and and so what i mean by that is i mean growth chamber guardian is a great card like a two a two two which can become a four four which can also pull all of the other copies of it out of your deck it's really great like it's it's i'm not you know i'm not insulting the card on that point one of the problems i always ran into with growth chamber guardian though was that I was always finding it difficult to find the window in which to actually use the ability and not get completely blown out, right? How much of your decision to run Growth Chamber Guardian was just based on the fact that your deck is a great henge deck? Like, is that is that 50% of the decision or would you run the Chamber Guardian even without the great henge? Right. Um, well, it's a very good question. I think that maybe part of the reason is that there are not too many good two drops right now so when you look at all the all the early game right ones and two drops all these cards have a you know recurring benefit from from mutate 
Mm. Yeah. And I think it's really important. Let's say, let's say you could run. Uh, I don't know. Well, maybe Beetle, but I don't really like the Beetle. Like it, it's, it's not very realistic that the you have it. Nessie and Horn Beetle. Yeah, yeah Nessie and Horn Beetle. Yeah. yeah, you can yeah. only like run it off of Yorvo, and then it right. still dies to stomp. So, what, first of all, what Grove Chamber Guardian manages to accomplish is fix your mana curve, fix your mana curve, and fix your opening hand, which can be pretty important because you don't really want to mulligan. Let's say we're going up uh, against a deck that doesn't have, you know, probably red, right, as its early removal or something like this. Five lands, Stone Cold Serpent, and Grove Chamber Guardian would be a keep for me. Mm, okay. Because you play, uh, you play your Serpent on one, you play Chamber Guardian on two, and now you have a turn three with Adapt and a 4-4 four, four Attacker, which is not bad. And you, you can follow it up with with at least a, another two drop or something else so that's really big in my opinion as a curve fixer right if you don't have a three drop if you don't have yorvo if it's not the time to mutate yet or if you just like if you don't want if you want to hold on to your gem razor now you can just you can just adapt the growth champion guardian second point is that it's pretty good versus flash decks right because you again that have that uh, activation of an, an ability right you don't need to it can be really annoying and, and the damage can pile up really quickly versus uh, flash decks and decks with counter spells in general now next thing let, uh -huh. let me ask you did you ever find yourself just getting completely tempoed out by brazen borrower because that that was an issue i often had playing growth chamber guardian against flash decks was that you know, you'd, you'd tap your mana for the three and then they would just bounce it back to your hand and then you were just so far behind at that point. Oh, yes. Uh, no, I think I think it's it's pretty much... It's pretty much like don't adapt it. Just hold on to it. Just be patient. You you Because, yeah, you can just understand that... I mean, of course, you kind of want to be the aggressor and you want to push as much damage through as possible but that's also a beauty of it being an activated ability like you can play at instant speed and and having an instant speed play is great yeah let them like i have no problem with this uh, at all like if they have of course bone crusher giant just don't adapt it ever and until until they are tapped out i had a couple of like very funny uh mono red matches where like it was clear to me that they have a stomp and I just have like I have a one drop in the in the two two guardian and okay I'm chilling. They have like scorch spitter and champion. I'm just attacking for two every turn. I'm holding on. I'm holding on. I'm being patient because as soon as they unload with this stomp, that that's the time to adapt and that's it. You're all good. Yeah, just just don't overextend. Yeah, I mean it's a huge it's a huge swing in tempo. Absolutely, it it's probably an instant loss in some cases if you actually just whiff that activation. Right. So just, yeah, just choosing the key place to do it is, yeah, is the thing absolutely. to do. Yeah. And one of the things that I love about Growth Chamber Guardian in a mutate shell is that you get those two plus one plus one counters on it, which... Yes, you know, exactly. A, exactly. A it's pretty difference. big. So I do, you know, it's like I notice when I'm looking down your list, Barkide Troll has a counter on it. Uh, Pelt Collector gets counters on it. Stone yes. Coil Serpent gets counters on it. Wildborn yes. Preserver gets counters on it. So... All of your one and two drops, uh, unless I'm missing something, I think all of them are able to get, they, they come in with or are able to get counters on them. Absolutely. Absolutely. That's, that's the fundamental thing about it. And 
let's say I guess probably the next best two drop would be Carl Harpooner right it's pretty good it has three powers so it's a very aggressive creature like the damage from uh, going back to Bark Control the damage from a three power attacker can pile up very quickly very quickly so here here also the problem the the problem with Harpooner is that we mutate on it we get nothing and sometimes you have to mutate like okay there, there might be not an artifact or enchantment in play but we have to play we have to spend our mana we have to play our gem razor and with Carl Harpooner we actually get nothing and this is where this is where I think yeah it's really important to have your early package very beneficial for for mutate yeah yeah well and especially to leverage the trample that you get from that uh gem yeah, razor absolutely. you know it's a kind of an underrated part of the card but the ability to add trample to your creature is just especially in a deck like this can can be a game ender. yes mm -hmm. absolutely yeah okay so i wanted to ask you before we move on from the two drops i wanted to ask you about wildborn preserver i noticed that you're running two in your list um what was your thinking on that number was it was it just that you liked all of your other two drops and and adding two more wildborn preserver was just to get you up to that magical number, or was it that you didn't find that that three or four wildborn preservers like maybe you had diminishing returns with more of them? How how did that end up going for you? Again, uh, I was actually trying to go a little bit heavier with the slot at some point. I was even trying a knightback ambusher. And things like that, mm, or you could, okay. you could try running Ceratops in the main, right? Uh, but then again, I think that you're absolutely right in saying that running too many can actually hurt you. So here, of course, I, f Chamber Guardian is a four, right? It, it, it's a must to have four copies, right? To yeah, it's it's four from. or zero. <laughs> yeah, it's four or zero, absolutely, yeah. absolutely. I think kind of the same we could say about the Barkhide. Again, like just. Just the thing about it is that two, two, uh, three, three on two is never wrong. It cannot mm. go bad at mm. the end of the day, right? It, it again, it's good versus control to beat them down faster. It's good against aggro to to slow them down more efficiently, right? So, when it comes to preserver, again, it's that extra. It's kind of a filler, but at the same time, it fits into the strategy pretty nicely because we are running, uh, you know, three copies of each legendary, and then you know, four gem razors is a must, I think. All the early drops are really important too, like the one drops. Um, so basically, yeah, I mean, it, it's a great mana sink. It's a great flash play that can be really important too in many situations. So I mean, instant speed, right? Uh, option. Uh, yeah, like the only the only unfortunate part about it is that you can't you can't actually use the Castle Garenberg mana to to pump it even uh, even higher. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So that, that's yeah. So that's the, that's the probably like that's that's the only thing that it's not not there in terms of synergy. Well, I guess another big thing is Stone Cold Serpent and Yorvo, right? Stone, the Serpent doesn't pump Yorvo, which can actually be a big factor. Uh, but again, I just made this choice in favor of uh, like these two remaining spots in favor of another two drop to again extend my extend the number of early uh, of early creatures from mutate, right? Because uh, four gem razors are going to be are going to be there, like they're going to be in your opening hand too. So uh, again, it's a very it's a very very cool option also when it comes to uh, trying to mitigate the Elspeth Conqueror's death effects, right? So you can actually have a converted mana cost two creature that becomes a really big threat sometimes. Yeah, 
Yeah, that is that's the nice thing about Wildborn Preserver is that it's one of those cards where, you know, it's a role player. Sometimes you just drop it in to kill like a robber of the rich or something. Or, you yeah, know, it's absolutely. Trade or, or in like early game. take a spitter for free. Yeah, yeah, exactly. But but then, you know, sometimes you get to the late game and all of a sudden your preserver is like a ten ten, and that's the thing that wins you yeah. the game. So absolutely, absolutely. We, yeah, which and and I I do like how another thread that I see running through this deck is just the ability for you to continue to get use out of your mana, even yes. into yes. the late game, right? Because it's that's big. One of the, it's very big. Yeah, one of the issues with these mono green decks is you just run out of things to do. Yep. And so being able to, you know, like, if you top deck a Pelt Collector in the middle of the game, it's terrible. But if you have your Wildborn Preserver out, then all Absolutely. of a sudden yes. you can put all your mana into that. So that's that's kind of a, that's a benefit, I think. Yeah. That's, there's a very cool synergy again with your Serpent. So let's say basically, you know, you can kind of consider... You can consider your preserver as a haste creature at the same time, right? Because if you play it at the end of the turn, it can attack right away. And this is where it's really important, like going back to the point of the whole deck, attacking in the most efficient way, right? Um, like we have to attack. We don't have an out. Like we, we can't stomp our opponent for two in the face or shock him or uh, whatever, right? We have to deliver on the attacks. And, and then again, there are many many cool interactions with it like off of hinge it's pretty cool as well like instant speed 3-3 three, three. Uh, good blocker right good just uh, instant speed play and then don't forget that you can play a stone cold serpent for zero oh, get a okay. trigger and pump up all the mana into your preserver ah, because that's this cool. is this is how I missed lethal in uh, magic fest online uh finals like uh weekly championship day day two um i miss i missed i missed lethal versus like uh luca luca fires actually because i kind of automatically okay wait a minute uh, i have a preserve i flashed in the preserver i think that which is a very powerful play let's say the shot of the sky again a, a, a way for you to mitigate uh, just claim the firstborn shot of the sky as well if they sh like they shatter the sky, you you answer with preserver on an empty board. End of turn, you play a zero zero serpent, pump up your preserver as much as possible, and and potentially like swing for the kill. Right, that that's pretty sweet actually. That's, so yeah, that's fantastic. Yeah, yeah, yeah. People, no one expects the zero mana stone coil serpent. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Well, so to actually, be honest, also let me think about this. So yeah. if. If you have the Great Henge in play and you play Stone Coil Serpent for zero, you actually end yes. up getting a 1-1, one, one, right? Uh, no, you actually don't. You don't, okay. Uh, your Serpent dies, yeah, because I think it's just uh, state, it's a state-based effect, right? Like uh, okay. the game, according to the game rules, right? Like uh, there is a state uh, state check, right, that, mm -hmm. that happens before the trigger. Okay. Your Serpent dies. However, you do get a card draw. Oh, okay. There you go. Yeah. So if you just yeah, let's say you need all of your mana, but you just want to cycle it. That's right. Okay, yes. That's... Yes. It can be the case sometimes for sure. I actually, I actually did it um, last night on stream too. Like it was really relevant. Yeah. Because I was just kind of I wanted to save my mana, but just kind of fish for like a ram through or a planeswalker or things like this. 
Yeah, so, so it's, it's pretty sick. I mean, like sometimes I just realize there's so many interactions, so many like the, these subtle synergies that you just have to learn trial and error. Like imagine, imagine this. Uh, imagine they, you have Vivian Champion of the Wild in play, right? Well, of course, provided there's no Teferi on board, because if they have Teferi established on board, you'll probably lose, right? Like, when it comes to your index. But, uh, like, they say they steal your questing beast with Agent of Treachery, right? Like, the trigger the trigger is on the stack. How about playing your second questing beast with Flash in response to that oh, and sacrificing, sacrificing the target with the legendary? Yeah, ruler? yeah, that's fantastic. I mean, there's so many things that are happening there. It's just, it's just sometimes unbelievable, like what you can do with the yeah. with the deck. Yeah, and that yeah, Vivian three um, is. It, let's see, it's Vivian Champion of the Wilds. Yeah, we'll we'll talk about her a little bit later, but she adds such a dimension to the deck. Oh yes. Yeah, for sure. Amazing. Okay, cool. Okay, so we've we've covered the two drops. Now I wanted to get into the three drop slot because. This is this is really interesting to me. So, in my experiences playing mono green, I've been so back and forth on Yavo. Yeah, right. Like half the time I love it, I think it's great, it's doing work <laughs> in my deck, and the other half of the time it just immediately dies to an Elspeth conquer, conquers death or just or or it gets um uh, fed to the oven, right? That feels really bad. <laughs> oh when you, god! You know, you play Yavo and you need it to stabilize the board, and it ends up dealing you far and going into the oven. Yeah. So, so I don't know. What's your experience been like running Yavo? We finally, first of all, have Gem Razor, right? And that's that's an absolute game changer. When when people ask me sometimes, like sometimes on stream, I have this question: uh, What's the best card in the deck? And I, I don't know, maybe that's like a new player, maybe it doesn't matter, right? And then I start thinking, well, I mean, that's, that's a very, it's not the correct question to ask, right? Because, I mean, every, every card has a very different application that exists. But I'm like, oh, wait, never mind. The best card in the deck is Gem Razor. <laughs> so actually, there is an answer to this. And, and, and part, of the, part of the issue, part, part of the thing, of course, is, is that you can actually mutate on top of your or give it trample. Which is, is is something that the card clearly starves for is, is trample right because it gets just chump block for days like buy a cap from the oven and whatever yeah and, and so so this is like incredibly powerful the only problem here I, I like I start to just uh, identify very often is of course the Teferi bounce right because Teferi can 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 answer it regardless whether you are on the draw or on the play right doesn't matter if you go first. Uh, they played Teferi on three, bounce it, and it's huge, right? It's three mana, uh, just wasted, right? And it's like, um, that that's the biggest challenge for the card so far, I think. Uh, actually, it's pretty sweet right now with, just in general, having the stats versus, you know, many aggros and knights and things like this. Versus Mono Red, it's an absolute, like, staple it's been for a while, because if you can, if you get your Yorvo to, like, six, the game is probably over. Yeah, because they, they can't just ever can't answer that. it. And sometimes it, it's clearly like also the case with Gem Razor now because if you have an eight eight with Trample, and if you go if you go against like Gruel Fires or something like I don't know Boros Cycling right things like that they they can't answer it that's it like the game is probably over it, it ends on the spot so it's also a nice hack for Henge right so actually um, the problem with Yorba also is that of course. Uh, 
you can't play Hange on turn four immediately after. Like, there's no way to actually do that. If if Stone Cold Serpent was a green creature, it would have been possible because you could have again played it for zero and stuff like that. But of course, it's it's a green. It's it's not a green creature, which is also a problem. But I think the card definitely still like deserves deserves a spot in my opinion. It's just that it's probably the worst thing that that happens now is is the fairy bounce. Oven uh, Oven is still like a you know, mitigated with, with gem razor. Like sometimes I realized also in my recent experiences and, and again that loss in Red Bull versus uh Ragdos Obash that that it's okay, you know, sometimes uh, uh they might not have all the answers, you know, they have more they need more um you know, they might not have a sack outlet or they might not have claim. So again they need to to put two pieces together. Uh but yeah, all in all I think it's a great it's a great beater versus you know many many things like reclamation and uh, all the other aggro decks um yeah and with gem razor is just so much better like 100 percent. well and another thing i was thinking of was that one of the things that helps to mitigate the legend rule because this is one of my problems running yovo right is that yeah you know your opening hand this would happen to me a lot where i'd look at my opening hand and it would be like pelt collector yovo yovo four lands right it's <laughs> yeah. such an awkward hand and not great yeah you know and so like that's one of the things that i struggled with so much running yovo and uh one of the nice things in a mutate deck is that you know it's always going to be tucked under something and so you can yeah, get around the legend absolutely. rule that way very good yeah yeah amazing that you can actually like put gem razor on it and keep growing the gem razor so yeah it's a good point that with the yeah with the legendary rule it's now also easier so i mean here's the thing right like like the biggest thing I, I guess for the deck is gen in general is having like land ORLs right now would help a great deal because again you can just start pressuring them so early with turn two Yorvo and things like this and you know and, and get some damage before Teferi drops down and bounces it. Uh, I So I tried running Goose instead like also uh, but just a little bit awkward still like Goose being one off mana and uh, yeah very very problematic in that sense. Yeah, I so and I wanted to ask you about that, but maybe now's the time, right? Yeah. Um, was you know if you had tried either the goose or the arboreal grazer, um, right? In this deck, because I've you know so I I made a version. It was a kind of a different mono green deck that was leaning more heavily on mutate. Mutate, yeah. And. One of the things that I loved was being able to, you know, there's so many of these mutate creatures come down for three, right? Gem Razor costs yep. three on the mutate. Migratory Great Horn costs oh, three yeah. on the mutate. Um, and uh, so, it, you know, just being able to do that, like turn one goose into turn two Gem Razor. Oh, yes. Or, very sweet. Very sweet. Yeah. Or, you know, my personal favorite, of course, is Arboreal Grazer into Migratory Great Horn. I mean, that's just oh, like yeah. an incredible <laughs> beatdown plan, right? Yeah. Um, so, but did did you just find that these one mana accelerators weren't doing enough for you? Was that the reason that you kind of decided to skip on those? Right. The the problem is just consistency. It's kind of it kind of becomes a bit of a you know definitely kind of high risk high reward type of scenario. Definitely, definitely, it's just more powerful, right? It's super powerful. Like if you, you know, the goose is fine too, right? Like because actually you can let's say curve, uh, you know, great torn on two and then 
you know, follow it up with like a four drop even, right? Or with the Yorvo. So it's like, do, you can do like crazy things, right? Like Yorvo on two, Gem Razor on three, attack for eight on turn three, <laughs> not too bad, right? Yeah, and maybe like nice. removing an oven in the process. Yes, absolutely. Sometimes it, it can end games on the spot, but it's my experience with that sometimes has been also ramping quite a bit, right? Getting quite a bit of lands, like the, an, an unusual number of lands for a deck like this, mm -hmm. and then actually having no follow-up, yeah. no like reasonable yeah. follow-up. So at the end of the day, like I think... I have, a, I have like the goose version actually right there too, so in front of me. Basically, I tried running three great horns and four geese. Um, but again, it just feels like the rest of kind of, the rest of the package is kind of similar. Um, like you can actually, of course, mitigate the, the goose drawback by running uh, Vivian and Hange, right? It's not too bad. Again, you could use it for like to pump a preserver, to pump Yorvo, but still... I feel like just honestly and just the philosophy of the deck, right? Just just if we if we look into that, right? Would you really are you really supposed to run like zero power creatures in a deck like this? Mm. I mean, just in mm -hmm. a vacuum, right? Probably not. Probably not. That that's why it was kind of my philosophy. Um Yeah, so since I actually decided to drop a Paradise Druid, I realized well maybe maybe it's fine not to play any mana accelerators are all like Llanowar of course would have been perfect still but yeah the goose having having a one-off you know when it comes to mana is is pretty bad mm -hmm. yeah it's, it's a very very frustrating sometimes you know they can also shock or scorching dragon fire it and you know deny your uh, your great horn land and things like this so it's just not very uh, like maybe just not very consistent not very realistic sometimes to always rely on that ideal scenario i mean that was what i had found with the deck that i built was that it had these incredibly explosive games where you just crush your opponent in three or four turns and and that was it but then there, there are these other games where yeah the board stalls out or your opponent rats and then you're top decking arboreal grazers and stuff and yeah 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 a yeah. little little underwhelming from that so okay so let's let's keep moving along here now you run three questing beasts in the build i don't think we really need to go into questing beast everyone knows it's great if if you're running a mono green aggro list without questing beast you should probably ask yourself why so let's talk a little bit more about the great henge because that was one of the when i was looking at your list one of the hardest things for me to get my head around was these three copies of the Great Henge. And the the primary reason for that is just that you're not running Lovestruck Beast or the Rotting Regis or any of these really high power creatures that help you get your Great Henge out on curve. And and of course, I don't, you know, I think that not playing Lovestruck Beast in this deck is absolutely the correct play. But I one of the things I was curious about was like, how do you find yourself fitting in the Great Henge? Like, do you find yourself consistently able to cast it on time? Or do you have games where, you know, you just have a bunch of three threes on the board and it's it's just kind of like a little bit too expensive? Like, how does that end up working out in the deck? Yeah, the Great Henge... Uh often has been a card that you know that i have a kind of like a love-hate relationship with yeah because like straight up for for quite a while i i, I just i just said like the card is terrible you know the card is not good yeah uh, like in thero standard uh it was a lot of 
a lot of issues with that, uh, even like despite despite running a Lovestruck Beast. Um, but basically, my uh, the idea is that the card is on the main deck because uh, because of aggro. Basically, aggro turns you into a control deck, pretty much. Like unless you unless you really have like a super powerful gem raiser into your vote on the play, you are probably going gonna have to play control deck. So this is where it fixes your opening game versus all the aggro. And basically this is your only win condition. Like realistically this is your this is pretty much your only win condition against aggro many in many, many cases. Because you just need to stabilize and then just overwhelm them. Nobody can keep up with the hinge as long as it's rolling, right? So we have, we have, we can totally, uh, you know, manipulate that in a way that where we we mutate onto something. Let's say with Gem Razor, it can be pretty much anything, right? Uh, it could be Serpent. It could be quite often Pelt Collector or Troll. Uh, we mutate, we hang on, and we can actually play uh, Hinge on on four. So what I uh, what I realize is actually Gem Razor again. It's it's a very good hack for the hinge because quite often you can play it for very cheap like I noticed that in many cases even before like versus Karuga fires and things like this I'm like oh wow I actually have like a 6-6 a six, six gem razor and I'm just playing my hinge for three and and playing another another decent threat with that and this is where you, you get to go off like if you can actually stabilize and and um, and get some creatures going as well which is where of course chamber guardian helps with that a lot you you you're just gonna dominate the match the match from that point. So okay, so your your main plan for getting hens out on time is just mutating, maybe growing your Yavo stuff like that. Yeah, turn turn five works fine as well. It just depends on how much. Just you want to kind of prevent as much early damage as possible. So you want to really like stall, stall, and just survive as much as you can, mm -hmm. right? So sometimes, sometimes if you have if you have just one creature off of hand, it's okay. You can afford some chump blocks even here and there. It's not a problem. But just focus on trying to get into hinge first, and then and then you can take it from there. Like you can just pull out wins versus anything. Like it's pretty much, it pretty much ends it because. It ends it. It ends matches versus Obosh and and uh, you know Lurus decks as well. Any aggro, like except cycling. This is mm. like the only the only issue with that is cycling. Yeah. Quite often I managed to stabilize with the hinge, but then I w was not able to just go through, which is why you know also if it comes to the sideboarding plan, it will be a little bit different versus cycling. But but other than that, like versus any type of aggro decks. Hinge is your number one solution, number one, just a lifeline, right? Because all you have to do is just get there and, you know, not die perhaps on the turn right after that, which, which to be honest, again, with the number of two drops and one drops and ram through off the sideboard, you will be able to play many of those options off of Hinge right away, which is great as well. So, and, and then you slowly also creep up with the life gain. So sometimes, you know, you manage to overwhelm even something uh, like some early powerful strategies like the mono white auras thing right again the game plan is literally the same you can you can stabilize you can dig for your you know for your gem raisers for trample right and then slowly rebuild and start going on the offense yeah yeah so uh, i assume that maybe you aggressively bought out the great henge in your teferi matchups or in absolutely your, yes. yeah like yeah. Any, any deck running white um you know the elspeth conquers death i'm sure is yeah yeah yes 100 
How about opposing gem raises? Has that been a problem? Uh, somehow it's been kind of okay. Uh, part of the reason is because uh, probably Stone Cold Serpent will be that target that's going to absorb that <laughs> ability quite often. Okay. So it's actually nice. It's actually nice to have the like multiple threads. Uh, yeah. Artifact threads, right? So actually, yeah, it works pretty fine. S- somehow, I was not like terribly blown up. Uh, you know, uh, it is a little, it is a little tricky though. But at the same time. Um, yeah, it's it's not too bad. I think it like so. F- just from my experience, it's been fine. Okay, now before we before we go here, uh, I, I could man, I could talk with you about mono green all day here. So before we go here, I just want to quickly um, take a look at your planeswalk because I noticed that you're running Vivian Arcbow Ranger in the main three copies, and I think that this is you know this one probably doesn't need that much explanation if you just read the card it's kind of everything this deck wants to do and it also gives you that valuable removal sometimes you just need to actually kill something your opponent's doing and vivian is a really great way to do that so i'm gonna skip over that one a little bit because that's kind of old tech it's it's good it's good tech but it's old tech but let's talk a little bit about this um vivian champion of the wilds so just to familiarize you, I'm going to read this card because I think a lot of people aren't very familiar with it. So it's a Planeswalker, uh, costs two and a green, so only three mana. It's a four loyalty Planeswalker. It says you may cast creature spells as though they had flash, which I'm sure is 50% of the reason you're running this card. Then it has plus one until your next turn up to one target creature gains vigilance and reach, which I'm sure isn't really the main draw here, but um, minus two look at the top three cards of your library, exile one face down, and put the rest on the bottom of your library in any order. For as long as it remains exiled, you may look at that card and you may cast it if it's a creature card. So talk us through why are you running these main deck and why is it so key to your game plan? Basically, main deck, again, because of Luca, Yuri and Luca popularity, right? And of course, uh, the number one deck in the format, I guess. Uh, And... uh, Basically, it's our only win condition versus versus deck. So again, you probably want to improve your opening, just opening game chances a little bit more with this, running two copies. Now, of course, uh, versus aggro, right, it, it's going to get boarded out as any of the planeswalkers. Uh, but even even versus aggro, it's not, it's not too terrible. What I like about it the most, what I like ab- the most about... Uh, you know, this is actually one of those cards that does not necessarily fit the strategy, right? It cannot really provide you, like, any offense, right? But but in my opinion, if I were to run, like, any of the tech cards, the card has to do something immediately, and it has to somehow compensate, you know, the card draw the value for itself. Worst case scenario, even versus aggro match, we can minus two, and we can... Just basically, there it is. Like, most likely, pretty much all the time, right? Almost all the time, we can get a creature out of it, and it's already, okay, one for one, right? It's not too bad. Um, but, yeah, like, from my experience, like, I realized that she is the only win condition versus the Jeskai Luka Fires deck. Now, it's pretty crazy that it's actually the case, and you can't run... Arcbow Ranger or Monsters Advocate in these de- versus these decks because because of that steel combo be- just because of that 
that fact alone, right? So, so, so just to make this very clear, what you're talking about is just hiding your threats from agent of treachery by by playing them at the end of yes, your opponent's turn. Absolutely, hiding your threats versus pretty much anything they have. Number one, of course, shadow of the sky. Right, shadow of the sky is 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 I mean, is a fundamental card that okay, I have no problem with. It has to be present uh, some form of it in every standard just to keep everybody in check. Right. Just to, of course, you know, make you think and not just slam everything onto the board. Because I remember also that uh, quite early in the Korea, I had this Magic Fest uh, qualifier where I finally went five and one. But part of the reason, part of the reason uh, was that all those guys, they were not running Shatter. They were not running Storm's Wrath, none of the mass removal. And I was just looking, I mean, it was an open decklist format, right? And I would just look at it and say... My God, somebody pinch me, guys. I can just play everything. <laughs> I can play everything. Nothing will die. Nothing. Like, I mean, yeah. single targets, of course. But I'm like, wow, how is this possible? Reclamation without, like, Storm's Wrath. Yeah. Yorian, some kind of absurd, greedy, five, four color piles. No yeah. shatter. It, and, like, I was like, wow. And you know? Flame Sweep is really bad against us, right? Yeah. Yeah. Flame Sweep is, is, is not problematic, right? Yeah. So maybe, like... Flame sweep expansion is pretty good, but that's yeah. already very contingent. So of course it's a number one tool versus Shadow of the Sky, like one hundred percent. Having to actually just flash in everything like is so good. So good. Especially especially since they can't really pressure it, right? So so why do we take out planeswalkers every time? Because you know, versus aggro, they take it for free, right? They kill it for free pretty much with like fervent champions and things like this with minimal resources. But versus all the heavy control decks Planeswalkers are a must. Planeswalkers is how you win. Like, since Theros, right, you win with turn 3 Vivian, right? You win with turn 4 Vivian, whatever. The the thing is, right, like, if they shatter, you still have a Planeswalker in, in play. If you have, like, whatever it is, it doesn't really matter if it's Nyssa or Vivian Monsters Advocate or Arkball Ranger. You always have a presence. Because, let's say, let's say the ECD, then your, your board is intact they shatter your planeswalker is intact and this is how you win uh, but in this situation when we are dealing with luca fires you cannot actually do that because if you if they just steal your planeswalker it's probably over because if they steal something that strong as arcbow rangers start plussing their agent and whatever like it's going to be like a four or five agent immediately uh, at least right or or simply they will just ECD with Yorian, right? They will do like multiple ECDs. That can be pretty bad. But of course, the main reason is the combo. It also, it, it just basically puts us in a position where, where we have to race them and and go and, and go through the blockers, like push through the blockers somehow and actually bypass Shadow of the Sky and Clarion post sideboard. I mean, it's just, it's just a nightmare, honestly. And then, of course, the biggest the biggest thing, of course, is Teferi, right? But you have to, you, you. This is why it's the best deck, and I think like this is the best way I found to beat it. I mean, in Red Bull, I actually went two and two and one versus versus Luca Fires, um, and uh, basically, yeah. It, it like the, the most important thing here is to remove Teferi as soon as possible. Like Teferi can still hit, but at the same time, you know, uh, it it just. Uh, is this an absolute like lifeline when it comes to these matchups? So I actually just bring in four copies of Champion of the Wilds in, the, in in those in those matchups. Yeah, like you can do so so much good stuff with this. Like you can flash in your Gem Razor, 
Like I remember this is how I won one of the matches in Red Bull. Um, so I ba basically they, they forced, like I, I came to a situation where they had to Yorian in for I think ECD and an Omen. And in response, I flashed in Gem Razor onto existing Gem Razor, got two triggers and destroyed ECD and the Omen, like leaving Yorian with nothing. Oh, that's and amazing. They, they just scooped the game. It's, it's crazy. <laughs> It's amazing versus reclamation as well. The actually the the loyalty count is pretty solid. Like yes. it, it's Teferi basically, right? So you can yeah. plus and go up to five and even like survive Storm's Wrath or things like this. Yeah, so it's it's really great, I think. Yeah, it's an underappreciated planeswalker. Side note, um I've had some fun brewing with this and wilderness reclamation to <laughs> right. to basically flash allow you to do with your creatures what you do with expansion explosion now <laughs> right. granted it's a it's a three card combo so it's not actually that competitive but but imagine the dream curve in historic all right vivian on three wilderness reclamation on four instant speed ulamog turn five <laughs> <laughs> you you can do oh, worse God. with this and i've also pulled off fun stuff like a 2020 crisis or you know <laughs> stuff like that so anyway i'm not saying it's good but it's just it's some untapped potential here <laughs> yep yep exactly that that's all that is you know i think that what i realized playing playing this one deck for so long right and people are asking me all the time well bro what's the deal like you're just playing one deck do you have any other decks i'm like yeah i don't have i don't have a problem playing anything else guys whatever but i'm just working here let me work a little <laughs> bit more because there's there's so much and what i realized yeah. is that you can't really you can't really uh you can't really just claim anything until you test it you know if you test it and that fails okay of course you can but like i i remember like it was just it was getting to to some just unbelievable realms like when i was playing aggressive mammoth and like when feral standard and what i was like okay let's try it though like who cares let's try it let's see what works i mean you could play you know like uh turn five turn five aggressive mammoth off of uh castle garenberg right with paradise druid i mean whatever right there are many many synergies uh and this is why it's really really fun to just explore all that and look okay fail miserable but but who knows Sometimes you might find something really interesting there, and it, it might affect your, your whole like strategy and deck building process. Absolutely. Well, I, I love that, and I think that's a good place for us to end it here. I feel like you and I could easily spend another hour talking about all the ins and outs of this deck. But, you know, for the sake of our listeners, we're, we're going to have to cut it off there. Thank you so much, Maxim, for coming on the show. It's been an absolute pleasure talking with you about about all things mono green so before we go where can people find you on the internet uh well first of all i'm on uh, twitch tv slash rent ms so ms is just my initials right r-i-n-t-m-s uh same goes for twitter and uh i am also rent on youtube i've been slacking a little bit on youtube uh but this is because you know from just overwhelming experiences with all these tournaments and with stream picking up pretty well so everybody's welcome guys please come and have fun enjoy awesome awesome well yeah i've hopped into your stream a few times and it's just it's always a pleasure to see the master at work and really yeah if you think that these mono green stompy decks take no brain power just come and watch rinse stream for five minutes i promise you you will learn 
so much about pacing, tempo, role assignment, who's the aggro, who's the control. It's one of the tightest decks. Like it has the tightest tolerances, right? Unforgiving, absolutely unforgiving uh, to mistakes. There's no leeway whatsoever in the deck. And I think that that can be frustrating sometimes. You might lose a bunch of games in a row. And Yes, I've seen that many times. Yeah, you know, you look back and you think, oh, I could have just played that one thing differently and I probably would have won that game. But I also think that it just it makes you a much better player as well. And that's the thing. And this is maybe what, like, sometimes people don't realize. Because, you know, I learned a lot. I learned so much about just deck building in general and, and, play, and like, mulligans and you know, playing around versus not playing around sometimes and things like this. So, I mean, it, it's only, it benefits me a lot just in general, not not just playing this archetype. So yeah, play it, play it for the drama, play it for the ins and outs and the swings. And sometimes the victory with the mono green is so, so sweet. <laughs> <laughs> right. Well, thanks so much, Maxim, for joining us. Everyone go check out Maxim Rint MS. I'm sure that we'll talk again in the future. And uh, in the meantime, I will be watching your stream. Awesome. Stay tuned. All right. Take it easy. Thank you. See you soon. And that's going to do it for this week's cast. Thanks, as always, for joining us. You can find us at ArenaCraft Podcast on Twitch, ArenaCraft Pod on the Twitter, and also ArenaCraftPod at gmail.com. We have a Discord. We're on YouTube. You can find us pretty much anywhere you go looking and all the information as per usual is in the show notes, especially if you want a link to Maxim's deck list. We'll put that in the show notes as well. So yeah, thank you all for joining us and we'll be back next week for more arena fun.